Howdy, folks. Welcome to another episode of TGC Midweek. We appreciate you tuning in. My name is Jacob, and with me at the table, as always, is Michael Novak. Michael, how's it going, man? Good. Having a good week. How yeah. are you? Man, I'm hanging in there. The semester is almost done, and uh, yeah, I'm ready for that final final. Good. Yeah. So uh, this is going to wrap up our mini-series on church government. This week, we're going to be looking at some questions that we that we got from listeners um, about church government, most of them regarding elders. Um, but w- before we do that, are there any other points regarding church government in the Presbyterian world that we haven't hit that you want to cover really quick? I think we covered it pretty well. Okay. And if folks um, have a specific question that they feel like didn't get answered, they can always send it in at a later date. Um, and if you missed one of our podcasts on church government, it'd be worth going back and listening to because we might have covered a question that you have in your mind. Yeah, definitely go back and give some of those back episodes a listen. So, um, okay, so we've got a bunch of questions here just on some of the the trivium around elders. So the first one is, what's the process for choosing an elder? What does that look like? Yeah, this year, uh, second year of worship at Trinity Grace, we are now turning our attention to leadership development in some ways. And uh, I think the next step for us as a church in the next year to year and a half is going to be identifying, training, and uh, electing and installing elders in our midst. Mm -hmm. And so um, it looks like this. This fall, we will have leadership training, um, Christian education on Sunday mornings, and we will likely do that in the fall and in the spring. Mm -hmm. It'll be uh, a class that will run for eight to ten weeks in the fall, eight to ten weeks in the spring, and it'll be open to anybody and everybody. Men, women, boys, girls, members, non-members, anybody would be welcome. But we'll use that material um, as um, an opportunity to train folks uh, in what leadership looks like, um, to train folks in our um, church government and denomination, mm-hmm. to train folks in our, um, in our history and heritage as a Reformed church. And uh, you will have to have attended those classes in order to be eligible to be an officer at Trinity Grace. Okay. So when you talk about training, you mentioned a couple of things that are sort of um, like you're going to be passing on some knowledge to different folks. But when we talk about training, that almost kind of connotates this like equipping for action sort of thing. So are, are there specific um, duties or tasks or skills that you're going to be training folks to do? Sure, there are. And um, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Maybe hold that question okay. for just a second, because uh, I want to finish the first question yep. on process. Um, so that's kind of the first step of the process. Um, the second step will be um, actually opening up um, the, uh, uh, the nomination um, uh, process for our church. Mm-hmm. And so we will uh, devote a month whenever it comes time for that uh, for folks to uh, submit nominations uh, for the folks in our midst that they feel like are being called to the office of elder and deacon. And so those nominations will be submitted. We'll likely have those nominations open for a month's time. Um, And then once those nominations are closed, those men... Um, will be approached, um, will be asked of their interest in serving uh, mm-hmm. in, in those capacities that they were nominated in. 
Um, and then uh, they will uh, undergo um, some further training, specifically preparing them to go before a presbytery committee where they're mm. going to be examined by them. Okay. Um, and so they'll be examined by the presbytery. And if they are uh, fit to serve in the roles for which they were nominated by passing those examinations um, on Bible knowledge, theology knowledge. So there's actual tests that they there have to are, take. There yeah. are. Um, and they're open Bible and open book, and you're encouraged to uh, even seek out counsel um, and how you might answer some of the questions. And so it's not as strenuous as uh, the examinations for a pastor. Okay. Um, or a, a teaching elder. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there are examinations, and they examine um, your confession and then also your character, mm-hmm. um, who you are as a person, uh, personal struggles, um, how you uh, care for your family, how you engage in evangelism and hospitality. Um, and then after uh, folks are um, given the thumbs up to stand for election, we'll, um, we'll put a slate forward. Uh, on a Sunday morning, likely at Trinity Grace, mm-hmm. uh, and the congregation, uh, all members in good standing that are present that Sunday morning, uh, will have an opportunity to vote um, on the men uh, that they would like to lead them as elders and deacons in our church. Do we vote for the whole group all at once, or do we vote on each person individually? You'll gr- uh, vote for each person individually. Okay. Um, and so um, that's how that'll work. Um, and like I said, there's really three, there's three C's that I think about when I think about, um, who we're looking for in terms, uh, of officers of our church and really in terms of any leadership position. We want leaders in our midst to have character, mm-hmm. um, to be those that are following Jesus, uh, with all of their heart, soul, mind, strength, um, and loving their neighbor as themselves. Um, we want folks that have um, a, a very clear and doctrinal and theologically biblical uh, correct confession. Um, and so they've got to have their doctrine in line. So character, confession. And then third, it's a little intangible, but culture. Uh, we want folks um, that are uh, in line with what Trinity Grace has been planted to do. Um, and um, and the vision that we've kind of coalesced around okay. to do of reaching and renewing San Antonio, of being outward facing, of engaging our neighbors and loving and serving them. Mm-hmm. And so those three C's are, are kind of the check boxes that I've got in my mind when I'm looking for leaders. Um, and I think that it's a helpful uh, grid to filter folks through as you're looking yeah. Um, yeah. around the congregation for leaders. Sure. Now, so. Now ask me that question that, yeah, that I, uh, that second one that you were going to ask. Yeah. So, uh, you you talked about, um, like a church leadership training class and I'm just wondering, like, is this a class lecture style, sit down, take notes, learn a bunch of stuff or, but you said it was training. So that kind of connotates to me that this is a, uh, like, uh, passing on of skills, so what sort of skills are we training future potential future elders and deacons yeah. to do? Well, there's a few places that I think we can go in order to learn the skills that are necessary and the character qualities that are required for an elder and a deacon. Um, first is the Bible, and we'll get to that in just a minute. And then secondarily, our BCO, our Book mm-hmm. of Church Order. And I've got our BCO here in front of me this evening, and in BCO chapter 8, uh, it lists um, uh, kind of expectations and qualifications for elder. 
And uh, in BCO chapter 8, 3, uh, it lists some very practical things that an elder is supposed to do. And I think it'd be helpful just to read it out loud. Let's hear it. And uh, if you want to respond to it, you can. If you're if you're sitting in bed now, would be a good time to just dim breathe the lights. deep, dim the lights, <laughs> get ready to be lulled this to sleep in. by the book of church order. Elders, they must exercise government and discipline and take oversight not only of the spiritual interests of the particular church, but also the church generally when called thereunto. So not just the small C church, but the yeah. big C church. They should visit the people at their homes, especially the sick. They should instruct the ignorant, comfort the mourner, nourish and guard the children of the church. They should set a worthy example to the flock entrusted to their care by their zeal to evangelize the unconverted and make disciples. All those duties which private Christians are bound to discharge by the law of love are especially incumbent upon them by divine vocation and are to be discharged as official duties. They should pray with and for the people, be careful and diligent in seeking the fruit of the preached word among the flock. Mm. And so it's kind of a beautiful paragraph yeah. um, of uh, what's expected of elders uh, and some of the practical tasks. And then if you go to the scriptures, um, some of you will likely know that there's two places where qualifications for elders are listed. The first is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. This is what Paul says. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of elder, he desires a noble task. It's interesting there that he actually lists there should be a desire for this Mm -hmm. among people. And it's okay to have a desire for this office. In fact, if you find within yourself a desire for this office, it's not something to be squelched, but maybe something to be explored. And he says, therefore, an elder must be above reproach, the husband of one wife or a one-woman man. There's debate on whether or not a divorced man can serve Mm -hmm. as an elder. Um, And that's another discussion for another time. Yeah, we'll table that one. But maybe you want to follow up on that? I don't know. Uh, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so that is Paul's list of qualifications uh, to 1 Timothy. And then Paul also writes to Titus, and uh, this is what he says. He says, I left you, Titus, in Crete so that you might put what remained into order, being the church that Paul planted. He left Titus there to put things in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there's multiple elders being appointed in multiple towns. And he says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife or a one woman man, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an, for an overseer, an elder, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Mm. So you get a sense uh, that... 
Paul touches on the three C's that I mentioned. There's a character aspect where he talks about some of the things that we're prone to with greed or lust or drunkenness. Uh, There's a competence aspect in our confession where we're supposed to be able to teach and to refute, to pray with those, uh, to be uh, hospitable and to evangelize. Um, and the culture aspect, like I said, is a little intangible. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's important to consider uh, when you think about uh, who you want to lead you um, in the church. Sure. So, do these elder elections ever get contentious? Because when I when I was growing up, and anytime there were elder elections in the church, it was like you know people would leave for their lunch plans, and it was just kind of a you know, it almost didn't matter. It was just an automatic yes, pretty much. Sure. Do these things, in your experience, do they ever get contentious, or is it ever like like a hot topic or anything? I've I've personally not experienced uh, much contention in the churches that I've been a part of. Although I have heard of folks um, receiving uh, less than what would be encouraging numbers in terms of who's voted. For them, oh, okay, and and that's an issue to be addressed as it arises. Yeah, um, it, it's hard to think of somebody garnering a certain percentage of the vote that is less than desirable and wanting to move forward mm-hmm. um, in in that role, knowing that they don't have the trust of the congregation sure. and, and probably the percentage that they would like. Hmm. That that's really the only thing that I've heard. Yeah, uh, in the past, um, or from you know friends. Um, that have experienced some sort of contention when it comes to nominations. Sure. So then would you expect someone who doesn't get enough votes to like to bow out of the process or is it um, is that just sort of an up in the air thing? Yeah, I think that is a um, a, um, that will be a matter of discernment and and um, shepherding if that occurs. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's not a policy Mm -hmm. uh, for that. Um, I think that wisdom yeah. would would guide the actions moving forward if that were to happen, which I think would be um, relatively uh, slim chance. It's pretty uncommon. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was curious about is if there was some kind of policy or anything. Um, okay, the second question was about qualities or characteristics of elders. I think we hit that pretty good, actually. Sure, yeah. Is there anything further you want to add on that, to- on that no, topic? I think that, yeah, Titus and First Timothy are biblical um, standards, mm-hmm. uh, especially when he explicitly talks about these qualifications. And then you've got the Book of Church Order, uh, Chapter 8. You can Google that and find it free online uh, if you'd like to read uh, more about uh, more through Chapter 8. Yeah. Um, so what about the term for elders? How long do they serve? That's a great question. Each church uh, has different policies. Okay. And so our book of church order does not distinguish how long an elder serves. Um, an elder is ordained uh, for life, uh, meaning if you're ordained an elder, you're always an elder. Mm. But um, how long that elder serves on the session is dictated by the policy of the church. Gotcha. And so... Um, lots of churches have rotations where an elder is uh, nominated and elected and then serves on the session for three to four years uh, and then is required to be renominated, reelected, and can serve another three to four mm-hmm. year term, after which he's required to take a sabbatical for a period of time for mm-hmm. rest and refreshment. Do we turn over the entire session all at once at three or four years or whatever that is, or do we turn over a portion of it? Hopefully it's a portion. Initially, you know, you'll you'll elect the class of, so 
Um, I guess if you just wanted to play this out hypothetically, if we elected elders in 2020 and we decided as the session uh, once elected that we want three year terms, then that would be the class of 2023. Mm, And then the next year we'd 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 have a process of nominating and electing elders every year. Um, and that would be the class of 2024. Gotcha. Um, and so you'd have a rotation started mm, that okay. way. Um, but not every year. Um, it's just not guaranteed that every year you have nominations and elections that somebody's recognized yeah. as an elder. And I think this is an important point too. The congregation is tasked with recognizing individuals that are already practicing these character traits and um and these practical ministry um activities mm-hmm. um already and so you want to identify men in our midst that are doing the work of an elder or a deacon right now and then they move into being identified with the role mm-hmm. or with the uh with the um the title uh a backwards and probably a wrong way to do it is to nominate men that are not demonstrating any of these competencies or practical ministry desires. And then try to teach it to putting them. them yeah, putting yeah. them in the role and then saying, please start acting like an elder <laughs> or a deacon. Uh, and so I think that's that's that would be a wise way for us to think about it at Trinity Grace yeah. is who is in our midst that's already doing some of these mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. Uh, having folks into their home on a regular basis Who is in our midst that has a passion to evangelize and to reach out to their friends and neighbors with the hope of the gospel? Who in our midst has uh, the capacity to teach and um, and to refute unsound doctrine? Mm -hmm. Um, Who in our midst is demonstrating um, deep care and love and grace in their families? Um, I think that those are the things that we should be thinking about as we move forward uh, or even begin this process. Sure. So once we elect and, and nom- nominate and elect elders, do they each serve different roles or or are they all just elders? Or I guess what I'm getting at is, does each elder have his own individual responsibility that's yeah. unique from the rest of the session? Well, the, interest, the interesting thing is that on the session, each man has a vote. And mm-hmm. so um, each man has a voice and a vote. And so in that sense, uh, it's, it's equality. Uh, a plurality of men that have equal say and authority. Um, but you've got to keep in mind that God gifts people in different ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so there's going to be different giftings on every session or every board of elders that you see. And I think um, aligning folks uh, in accord with their gifting would be important. Okay. And so um, I, I do have ideas about how I would like to see our session engaged with our congregation, specifically potentially having elders over neighborhood groups. Um, so one or two elders over uh, a neighborhood group mm-hmm. or two or three. And for the neighborhood group to know that this is your shepherding elder in case you have need for prayer or visitation or some other need. This is your pastor that you go to mm-hmm. um, who is your ruling elder. Um, and so that's one way that um, I envision thinking about splitting up the congregation underneath some of these shepherds mm-hmm. that they've called. Um, but also just 
discerning where their gifts are and allowing them to move further into those giftings. And so if one man on the session has a gift of teaching, what would it look like to have a Christian education hour for him to teach the congregation? Um, Or if somebody's gifted uh, in, in, in teaching, what would it look like for them to do some um, teaching or leading of the liturgy on Sunday mornings Mm -hmm. Um, for those that are gifted more, uh, Interpersonally, what would it look like for them to be uh, the first that gets the call for a hospital visit? Yeah, um, or being in people's homes uh, to encourage them and uh, love them with with in, in the gospel. Great. So um, we got another question that kind of goes, kind of fits into this uh, topic of elders and kind of one of the roles that they might play um, when there is conflict within the church. How is that conflict resolved? And then specifically, what role do the elders play in resolving conflict, if they play a role at all? Sure, they, they would. Um, and so conflict within the church, this is, this is a tricky question because it's hard to deal in hypotheticals here. Yeah. When we say conflict, what exactly do we mean? Um, you look at Matthew 18 that outlines the biblical uh, pattern for how to deal with conflict. And Jesus there mentions that the first step is for a brother or a sister to go to the brother or sister individually mm-hmm. and try to work that conflict out interpersonally in a private way. If uh, the person doesn't listen to you there, the next step is to take another brother or sister with you. Um, and if they don't listen, then it's to bring them to the church, mm-hmm. which in this instance would be the session. Um, at which point the session would get involved. Hard to imagine what conflict uh, would be um, brought to the table. Um, but whatever the conflict was, whether it be relational, um, whether it be a matter of gossip or um, catching a brother or sister in some sort of flagrant sin, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but whatever it is, you bring it to the table and then the church deals with it. Um, and it's hard talking about this. I mean, it's important um, uh, because there is a process, and then there's even censures uh, that the session can impose um, in order to draw folks back into repentance and back into the fold of the church. Um, and so um, that would be how it works in a congregational um, at a congregational level. Um, and then above that, the beauty of the Presbyterian form of government is if somebody feels like the church session has erred or um, hasn't done right by the congregation, they've got a higher court of appeal, mm-hmm. which is our presbytery. Uh, and they can bring uh, that matter that they feel was not dealt with properly to the presbytery. And then the presbytery will undertake um, action to review that process and to make sure that uh, people were treated fairly according to our BCO, our mm-hmm. Book of Church Order, and then more importantly, according to biblical standards of love yeah. and grace. And so, um, there, you know, there there are levels to this, and then even above that, you've got some cases that rise uh, to the General Assembly level, um, and they're decided upon by a, a committee, mm-hmm. a commission that is set um, set up at that level of our denomination, and so. Uh, there's lots of layers of accountability, and that's one of the beauties of our denomination. And also, one of the um, it's just it's it's a security, it's a yeah. safe stop 
uh, for folks. It's not one man or just a small group of men that are running uh, everything without any sort of checks or balances. Um, and I think that that should be comforting to folks. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the one of the beauties of the the Presbyterian world. Um, well, these are the questions that we got on the church government series. Are there any commonly asked questions that you've heard out there that that you want to hit that we haven't hit that you want to talk about? I think we hit them all. Okay. Um, and I think one of the big deals uh, that I've heard is just the matter of process. Yeah. What is this going to look like? Yeah. And um, I'm glad that that first question was asked. Sure. Um, and I guess I'd say this. The more I talk, the more thoughts I'm going to have. So we're <laughs> going to have to wrap it up eventually. Um, but just because we're financially self-sustaining as a church does not necessarily mean that we will automatically and simultaneously have elders and deacons in our midst. Right. And so um, Paul mentions not being hasty with laying on of hands. That's right, yeah. And there is nothing wrong with taking our time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have got accountability in place at this point. We have got uh, the presbytery that oversees our budget and our ministry practices and so there should there should be no big rush for us to to get to the place where we're um, installing um, elders and deacons. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're in our midst, we want to be sensitive to the spirits leading in mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a gray area in some ways, uh, but I think it's worth mentioning because some folks. Um, myself specifically will be like, all right, we've, we've hit this benchmark. Now it's time yep. to, to have our own government. And that's not always the case. Sure. So it's okay to take our time. Even if next spring we're not identifying elders and deacons, that's not a failure in any stretch of the, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and, um, it might not be a bad idea to stretch it out a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, if circumstances call for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this little mini series that we've done on church government. It was kind of a hot topic that Michael had heard a bunch of folks kind of asking some questions about. So we wanted to devote some time to that. As always, this is going to be a, a, a question and answer format first and foremost. So whenever you have questions um, about the sermons on Sunday mornings or about the liturgy or just about Christianity in general, um, always send them in and, no matter what we're talking about in any given week, we're going to devote some time at the beginning of the pod to make sure we take your questions seriously and try to offer some responses. So you can email those questions if you have them to Michael at trinitygrace.org, or you can text them anonymously to 210-920-0783. And just where we're thinking about going in the future with this podcast, um, I think next week we're going to launch into another little mini series on evangelism. We talked at some length about that last week, go back and give last week's episode a listen. And this is going to fit really well into the sermon series that we're going to be starting on Sunday mornings on the book of Jonah. So um, that's what we're going to be starting. Uh, so if you've got questions about evangelism, send those in. Those questions that are specific to a topic, we might save all of those all at once and then do one final question and answer episode all on that topic, kind of like the way that we've done today. So if you send a question in, it's not answered the next week, just be a little bit patient. We'll get to it kind of at the end of of that series. So um, this has been TGC Midweek. My name is Jacob. His name is Michael. We thank you for tuning in. See you later.